0: Welcome to Titanium, the intersex podcast. This is series two, living and leaving psychosis. Thanks to MC Counseling, addiction counseling for the globe. Now, episode two, living with psychosis. Sometimes when you try to do better yourself, you fall harder. For Mike, it wasn't about partying. It was attempting to work around the clock. Mike was setting up an online business during the time he became addicted to methylene-dioxymethamphetamine, MDMA. This is the second of the three-part special to Series 2 of Titanium, the intersex podcast living and leaving psychosis. Here's Mike Carroll. We left last episode with a part of a diary entry that I made, while still pretty high, it did definitely shock you, scare you, and I had lots of messages, and I appreciate that. The reason it's been quite a while between episodes has been I got quite sick and was off work and and was not able to do quite a lot because it was the physical manifestation of what's been happening in my life for so long, and it was that coming out. And that's fine because that that needed to happen, but I apologise that it's been so long between this next episode. So here we go. We're going to get back into it. And living with psychosis was a very scary time for me. It was scary because how often have you called a snake catcher? I called a snake catcher three times. He came two out of the three. And on the second time, he's like, mate, I think you maybe need to get some pills to get some help. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I also had people living with me in my home who I wronged because psychosis gets so strong that you're just paranoid about absolutely everything from the sound that you hear as you're trying to sleep to somebody talking on the phone to people just being on their phones. It's a really scary time. And I asked them all to move out because I was paranoid that they were actually parts of the Facebook live that I was all part of also during Being psychotic, I became engaged to Jessica. And that was an experience. We'll talk a bit about that in the diary entry. She's a beautiful person, still is, we still talk. Lots of love, Jess. I also did lots of diary entries, which we're going to go to now. We picked it up, or we left it off, I should say, with me saying, trips to Melbourne on a Thursday night to recreate times of a past illicit life returning. I buy 20 or so MDMA caps from my friend in Melbourne. We drive down from Gippsland and it was the same person I scored for for about 10 years and I hadn't scored for ages, so this was the first of many times it would become a regular occurrence of every weekend doing the same thing. However, my friend started to suffer from the experience. She needed medical help with the suffering effects of what we did think was pure MDMA, mixed with alcohol, sleepless nights they'd teared us apart, and even to this day. I continued in a downward spiral of losing grip with reality because I would see snakes in my house, in my car, and in my work. Psychosis had taken over my life. I was now unemployed, using every day, and my love of everything was back to my total addiction. A few friends told me to get help, go to the hospital, see the cat team and get treatment and stop using. By this stage, my love of breeding exotic parrots had ceased and I was certain snakes in the house were to kill me and also kill them. Once my parrots were cared for by a friend, I was able to ask for some help. I didn't have any money to score and at that particular stage, I wasn't psychotic enough, so I wasn't admitted to the Flynn ward at the La Trobe Regional Hospital in Teralgon. We discover that my tenant from the investment property next door would pass away and be found just after the settlement of this property. I would go to her funeral, and not knowing anyone except for the neighbour John next door, I got up to say a few words. I thought it was the right thing to do, as she'd been an amazing tenant who'd always looked after the property, and it just looked amazing every time I went in. I went to the burial and felt this really wasn't the place for me. At the wake, I sat by myself at the rear of the Warrigal Country Club, saying to myself, I'll have this one pot and go. As I was finishing this, Cameron, the oldest son of Margaret, who was my tenant who'd passed away, came up to me to thank me for speaking at her mum's funeral And also invited me to come and join the family. I initially refused, but then accepted and was having a chat two up to Pushpa, who was Cameron's wife's sister. We were speaking for about 10 minutes uh, when she asked me about my marriage, marital situation. And I said that I was single and um, she said that she had a niece in Fiji who was looking for a husband. And I responded, well, I'm looking for a wife. She gave me Jess's number and I said I should and she said that I should download Viber so we can talk for free from Australia to Fiji. I'd never heard about Viber and it did seem crazy to be able to have free calls from Fiji to Australia. I didn't call she called me and again my anxieties about me started to resurface. A week after we started talking I would be admitted to hospital for severe psychosis. I only had a T-shirt and shorts on with no shirt, and I was freezing. I convinced the Ambos to take me home to get some clothes as we were making our way from the Warrigal Hospital to the Latrobe Regional Hospital, where the Flynn Mental Health Psychiatric Ward is. I was lucky that they let me get some clothes, because when we got there, it appeared someone was at my home. As the lights were turned off, As we approached, this was reassured by the Ambo's, who asked, was there somebody that I lived with, as the lights suddenly went off. I said no, my flatmate had moved out that afternoon. It was reassuring to know that at this this time I wasn't seeing things. We all went in and I was able to get some clothes and made sure my car was locked up as well. Of course, I also picked up the remainder of my four MDMA caps I had. We then went to Turalgon. I was admitted to the Flynn ward like I was going to jail, with my phone, smokes and everything searched and taken from me. Feeling off my face, I proceeded to tell the admitting nurse my experiences with MDMA. I don't think I stopped talking. I was then showing my room and my clothes were given to me, minus the aftershave, razors and deodorant. The Flynn ward was a place that I felt safe in. Because at home, I was paranoid about the snakes. But there, I felt safe. So I went to sleep pretty quickly. It was the weekend, and so it wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to see the psychiatrist till Monday. And so basically, it was not allowed to smoke. You see, you had to see the psychiatrist before being given leave, which meant you could go outside and smoke. But that wasn't a problem, because I slept for four days. I said earlier I loved top-shelf drugs, The come down from pure MDMA, or what we know now as maybe not the pure MDMA, is ridiculous. To go to the toilet, to go to the shower, to eat is the hardest thing in the world. It's like you've got no energy at all. On the first morning I went to have breakfast, I was completely shocked as to who I was surrounded with. People with severe mental health conditions, and I had now become one of them. I felt safe, scared, and also secure. Then I met Tara. She would be my dear friend during my time, my first time at the Flynn Ward. We'd become friends to the point that I was pulled up by one of the workers there about our constant hugging and supporting of each other. I was told that she had a husband and it was not appropriate for us to be so close. Well, I met her husband. Tara and I both laughed that we were both pulled up and she was the most amazing friend anyone could ever have in a mental health psychiatric unit of a hospital. I will never forget how beautiful she was to me. She's a rare diamond. Support is the biggest part of being in a mental health ward to help you get by. Let me tell you that. I had no friends visit me. My mum was completely distraught. She was also very effective at negotiating with the psychiatrist that I eventually saw on Monday. Apart from seeing the psych and brief talks with Tara... I slept for four days, and I couldn't be trapped in this existence for another day. I had been an awesome patient, sleeping most of the time, and always had been polite to the nurses and staff. There was no care plan for me, so I had to create one. I was assertive. I was not rude. I was understanding but determined. I wanted to see the outside, but this was apparently too difficult to organise, I was given broken promises to see the psychiatrist until I went to the nurse's station and said, I've been very understanding. I've asked to see the psych, which none of you can help me with. I want to leave and I'm trying to be as patient as I can, but none of you will help me. I've not caused any of you any harm or any concern. I want, I want you to right now tell me when I can see the psych to be discharged from this hospital. It worked. I saw the psych and he agreed to discharge me. It was the one of the most turbulent times of my life. I wanted to change and stop using this self-indulgent drug. I succeeded for a while and my life started to improve. I confided in a couple of people, however, kind of regret doing this. I started to believe that my phone had been tapped and everything I did on the phone was being duplicated online. I still believe that my camera is constantly on And the picture is taken every time I open the phone. I also have reason to believe that I'm on social media via apps I have not set up, but it's been set up by someone else. I had lots of people living with me and because I was not working and when I asked them all to move out, I didn't have any bond money to pay for their departure. I believe that my contact list had been given access to each other's accounts about me and that they had cameras set up in my house basically spying on me like a live Facebook or a live stream of my life. Call this psychotic paranoia, the camera on my phone always seemed to be on, and whenever I called Jess, it was from Null. I set up an AVO against one of my former flatmates who had been verbally aggressive on the phone after I was unable to provide him with the bond money back after he moved out. My filing cabinet was also very well organised, and all through this time, a few friends who stayed in the office who could have accessed this information. One ceased to be friends with me, citing they couldn't bear to see me destroy my life, while another frequently popped in at opportune times, when things weren't going well for me. They are also very good in describing how one should live a life, and was always very positive. I've since challenged this person, to which they don't seem able to assist with my questioning. It was at the time of putting an AVO against an ex-flatmate that I got a call from an employer inviting me for an interview for a role. At the same time, I believe the person who had made me public on my phone list was also working with this company. All of my personal email accounts, when you're not connected to my work accounts, were set up and authorised with all my personal Gmail going through my work account set up under another name, however utilising my phone number, I was also the only one to have to install the program that basically meant I was trackable and all my meetings with clients were being recorded without my knowledge. Things became more intense when I took my computer home and when the speakers were on, they distorted on further investigation. It would appear there were microphones at home recording when I was at home. The computer on my laptop had a setting that switched to my home internet to record audio. Then every morning at work, I was disabled from using a specific drive. However, later in the day, that drive was available. I was also unable to access recordings from my laptop. It wasn't until I was able to reconfigure settings on my laptop that I would hear a beep from associate's computer. It was also a similar sound when I inserted my password. I also discovered that my computer had a separate keypad attached. It was hidden until I reconfigured the computer. I also found that there were three phones attached to my Microsoft Outlook with my number and to undisclosed numbers designed to sync with my Outlook, my calendar, also Microsoft Word, and other dodgy practices I could find. There were also two occasions of a certain name, not mine, that would appear on my sales manager's phone that also would be the same as what would appear when I would call Jess and she would not take the call. In saying this, I was never able to call Jess directly. She would always have to call me back. She also refused to be FaceTimed, saying she hated it and I was unable to access FaceTime a few times even though it was activated. So that's the end of the journal entry. And it's pretty bizarre, scary, sad. It's, there's just so many words. Disturbing, you could use, isn't, isn't there? Because the psychotic mind thinks everything's against them. There's actually nothing that goes with the psychotic mind. But the other thing about the psychotic mind is that it sees things that it never forgets. The psychotic mind can't concentrate on anything. It's got so much stuff going through it. It's why it gets so tired so often. The psychotic mind is a mind that I ho- never want to be in again. And I hope you never have to experience it. But if you are around people that are psychotic, or if you have a loved one that's psychotic, I suggest you offer them love and support. And that... You make everything in your home as normal as possible. There's, of course, lots of support for people with psychosis, but unless you've actually had psychosis, it's very hard to understand it from someone else because so much of the story is just ununderstandable. It's just not recognisable. It's just, it just doesn't make sense. But it does to somebody who's been in that space. How does psychosis and intersex work together? Well, it works together because you hate yourself so much that you know you're doing yourself damage, but you don't care about that damage because the damage that's been done to you, the way you feel about yourself is so low. So the physical pain or the mental pain of the drug is better than dealing with the other pain. And so... Psychosis is a common theme in the LBGTIQ plus community because many of these people in these communities don't feel that they fit in and that they are alone. And so they use drugs to the limits that they possibly can because lots of the time money isn't an issue. But even if it is, it's the fact that it's it's taken it to the end degree. Psychosis is a horrible time for anybody. And if you're going through psychosis at the moment, please go to the hospital. Please ask for some help. Please say you need to get onto some medication because every day you don't do it is another day that might mean you never get your mind back. We're going to go into the next episode and we're going to talk about leaving psychosis. But I appreciate your time today and I know this has been very full-on for you because it has been for me having to relive it to get back into this space. We're going to leave this space now and come back next week with another episode of Psychosis, which will be episode three in season two of Psychosis, Living and Leaving Psychosis. My name's Mike Carroll. As you can hear, my voice is going. So we'll come back next week and it'll be better, I hope. I want to thank, thank producer Jared Aviat, also voiceover from Nathan Gardner. I'm Mike Carroll. More soon with Titanium, the intersex podcast.